All right. Let's open our Bibles together to the book of Luke, chapter 1. So we've started our new church life together with a teaching series called City of Angels. And today we're going to look at another angel passage of Scripture from Luke, chapter 1, and starting in verse 5. And it says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born." Verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. <laughs> I, I like that he doesn't say, and my wife is old too. <laughs> He's a, a little more tactful. My, my wife is getting up there too. But the angel said to him, I'm Gabriel and I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. I want to say one thing to you today. Just one thing. It's super important. I want this to soak so deeply into your soul that you never forget it. So I'll make the statement, and then I'll defend it and explain it and talk about it a million different ways. But here it is. You are perfect for your life. You are perfect for your life. I don't know if you love where your life is at today or if you are bewildered at how did I ever end up here. Or maybe you're a little more adventurous and yeah, you know, life's not what I was thinking, but hey, life's an adventure and I'm down for the ride and it's all good. Uh, but but, but I, I, I do know that, that if I were to ask, is your life exactly what you were planning? Has your life turned out exactly according to plan? Uh, I, I won't raise hands on that, but if I were to ask you to raise your hands, a lot of people today would raise your hands and say, my life is not what I was planning. Now, there's a lot of people that can relate to the title of a book that came out a number of years ago. I talk about this book all the time. I love this book. It's about six-word memoirs. 
It's a book that urges people to try and tell their whole life story in six succinct words. It's really fascinating. Some of the memoirs are hilarious. Never really finished anything besides cake. (laughs) Uh, Some of them are a little more intense. Bad breaks discovered at high speeds. (laughs) Some of them are heartbreaking. I still make coffee for two. But it's the title of the book that really grips a lot of people. The title of the book really resonates with a lot of folks because the title of the book is not quite what I was planning. And I think for a lot of people, we move through our life and we think things will go a certain way, and then we realize this is not what I was planning. You know, my life has not turned out the way I was planning. Now, in a lot of ways, my life has turned out way better than I was planning. I never in a million years believed I would marry someone as amazing as Jessica. Truly. Life with Jess is Christmas morning. And I'm also very grateful that I didn't go down my intended career path. My dream, late high school, early college, was to be a high school English teacher, a track and field coach, and then I wanted to try and be a novelist in the summers. I didn't realize that teachers need the whole summer just to detox and recharge. But, but um, it's, it's a great dream. It just wasn't my calling. When I was pursuing that dream, I was in a super dysfunctional relationship with this young woman. And this girl that was dating, she and I were hanging out at a lake. And one day she said to me, if you say you're a Christian, how come you never talk about God? And her question uh, rocked me because I grew up in church. Since I was one of those little kids that went off to class with Naomi, I I, I had an awareness of God. I had a deep belief in God. And so when she said, how come you never mentioned the Lord? It, it, It shook me. And I never know how to describe this part of my story except to say it this way. When she asked me the question, it's almost like eternity erupted in my soul. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has set eternity in the human heart. And with that question, it's like everything that had been put in my life over the years just blew up in me. And I had this supernatural hunger to to know the scriptures and meet the Holy Spirit and, and hear God's voice. I started spending hours and days and weeks crying out to God, not because of the girl, because of this, this hunger for God. And he met me. And in that season of my life, my entire world changed. And I sensed like I've never sensed anything before that he was calling me down a particular life path. And I have never looked back. I have never second guessed it. I have never regretted it. It has been good. But it's not been what I was planning. Uh, we, we, we got married at 23 and 21. And we thought we were going to wait about five years to have children. And th- those plans often don't go I don't know what happens, but sometimes people get pregnant. But, um, but, but Jessica got pregnant within like just a few weeks of our honeymoon. And once we got our heads around the idea of having a child that quickly, our daughter Alexis was born, and she was born with severe physical problems. Her entire life was basically a gigantic hospital visit. 
for 24-7 for her life. It was nurses and surgeries and traumas and horrific things until she died at three and a half. Jessica has had about a dozen surgeries uh, in our marriage, and we have a very close family member who's, who has addiction. And addiction is a real thing. And addiction is really tricky for some people because when people talk about the disease of addiction, a lot of people don't get it because addiction, in whatever form, but, but addiction, it always begins with a choice. It kicks in because of a choice. But, but with addiction, uh, two people can make the same choices, but not everyone has the same predispositions to certain struggles or genetic whatevers. And so two people can make the same decisions, but only one gets gripped the following addiction. And addiction is a monster. And we'll talk more about that in coming months because one of the things we're starting in our new church this year is a ministry called Celebrate Recovery. And we're going to set hundreds and hundreds of people free, I hope. Um, Now, God has used all of these things in our lives. With every bummer in our life, God has brought ministry out of it. And that's one of the beautiful things about the kingdom of God. In God's kingdom, piercings open fountains. When the Roman spear tore through Jesus' side and pierced his heart, the scripture tells us that a flow of blood and water poured out. And we know from the scriptures that it was from the shed blood of Jesus that we find rescue and recovery from the trauma and the damage of sin. In God's kingdom, bruises become beautiful. Brokenness becomes rescue missions. And we've lived that. That has been our story. And it's been good. It's been beautiful even. But it still hasn't been what we were planning. And when people come to a moment like this in their lives, when they come to this raw, honest place, that they can cry out at times, how in the world did I end up here? What did I do wrong to have to go through what I'm going through right now. And in those moments, we need to hear those words. You are perfect for your life. Now, your life might not be perfect for you. Your life might not perfectly match what you were hoping it would be, but you are perfect for your life. God has sent you into your life. Listen to these words again from the angel in Luke 1:19. The angel said to Zechariah, "I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you to tell you this good news." In our series City of Angels, we've seen so far that angels number 1 are strengtheners. God sent an angel to strengthen Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Number two, we've seen that angels are servants. Out of all the ways that God could fashion and form and commission his ministers, he called them servants. And then number three today, angels are sent ones. I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to you to tell you this good news. You know, there's a big difference between wandering into a place and being sent there. Back in the 1500s, 
There was a gigantic theological debate. It still continues today. Between the teachings of John Calvin and Jacob Arminius, Calvin taught that God's sovereignty, so God's control over everything, was so complete that everything, even the good and the bad, was determined by God. And there are scripture verses that seem to support that. But then a few years later, Jacob Arminius came along, and he was like, whoa, 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 time out, hold on. It's not that simple. There are other forces at work in the world that are determining certain outcomes. One of those forces is human freedom. See, God is love. That's what 1 John 4, 8 teaches. And God, who is love, created family, daughters, sons, who are able to love. And whenever there is, there is love, authentic, actual love, there has to be freedom. Because for love to be something freely given, not coerced, there has to be at least the possibility of a rejection of love. And inside the possibility of the rejection of love, there comes all kinds of trauma and pain and brokenness into the world. And, and, and there are scriptures that support that. So, so by the way, um, which is it? Is, is God sovereign or do we have freedom? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Whoever said that, that's the perfect answer. God is sovereign and we do have freedom. We don't have absolute freedom. For instance, I can choose to go to the beach today if I want to. When church is done, I can choose to go to Newport Beach if I want. I can't, however, hop on the 10 freeway and drive east if I want to go to Newport Beach. So God has given us freedom underneath this canopy of God's sovereignty. And somehow God does what only God can do. Somehow God is able to sovereignly accomplish things in our lives while still honoring the integrity of our freedom. And listen, there are times in your life, we're talking about being perfect for our lives. There are times in your life when you need to be an Arminian. You make your choices, you do your best, you work as hard as you can, and you hope that somehow God is going to work something good in the middle of it. But then there are other times in your life when you need to be a Calvinist, and you need to say, I am not here by accident. I have been sent by God into this moment. See, you did not choose to be here. Well, we didn't choose this speck on the time-space continuum. We're here because of other people's choices. But now that we're here, we are destined for this moment. Now that you're in this life, like it, love it, indifferent to it, you're destined to it. And you have been sent to it. In Acts 13, 36, it says that when King David died, he had served God's purpose in his own generation. Every single person has a purpose from God to fulfill in their generation. We, we have choices. We, we make decisions. We help determine outcomes while God sovereignly works some things in our lives. In fact, in Romans 8, 28, there's a familiar verse that says, we know that in all things, 
God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That's God's sovereignty. Somehow working in the middle of choices and decisions and missteps and regrets and brokenness to bring something good out of all of that. But then the next verse contains what's probably my favorite or one of my favorite Greek words. The next verse says, for those that God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. If you look up at the screen, the word predestined, I love this word. You'll, you'll hear me talk about this often. It's the Greek word pro-orizo. And if you look at the word there, the, the, the pro, are you seeing a word? Yes, okay, good. I can't see. <clears throat> the, the, the word pro is, it's the Greek version of our English word pre. It means before. And then if you look at the root word orizo, you can see the root of our English word horizon there. Pro-orizo literally means to decree from eternity. It means from eternity past, God looked down the corridors of the time-space continuum and decreed some things over you and me. Practically, the word means to pre-horizon. It means God has set certain horizons in your life. And so that always makes me think that one of the most biblical scenes in modern filmmaking was in the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie. <laughs> Do you remember when Captain Jack Sparrow stood on the deck of the Black Pearl? And he looks out into the distance, and do you remember his famous line? He says, now, bring me that horizon. See, God has set some horizons in front of you. That's sovereignty. Now, go after it. That's free will. That's the Arminian side of it. And, and you need to know that you are perfect for chasing the horizons that God has put in front of you. Your gifts, your personality, your talents, your passion is perfect. And whether your life is amazing and you want to prolong it, or whether it's bewildering and you're not sure about it, you need to approach your life like a sent one, on mission from God in this place. I, I love these words so much. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. There are amazing things that happen when we stand in the presence of God. If you stand there long enough, you start to discover who you are. I'm Gabriel. You, you start to hear a word. You start to receive a commissioning. And did you notice that when Zacharias started freaking out, I'm too old. There's no way this could happen. That, that the angel seemed a little bit confused. He's like, wait, I'm Gabriel. That's not how I would have responded to them. I'm hold on. Is, is this not enough of a credential for you? I just came from the presence of God. And I have been sent with a word for you. I've been called out. I've been chosen and commissioned to bring this good news. Listen, there is always good news emanating from the presence of God. If you are not hearing a word of good news, it means you need to stay put a little bit longer in God's presence. I see people drift in, not getting much out of this whole thing, drift out. If you will stand 
And if you will stand long enough, you will hear good news coming from the throne of God. That's why um, Hebrews 4.16 says, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. There's good news in the presence of God. And if you stand there long enough, you'll start hearing it. You'll hear your name called. You'll sense your commission. You'll realize, I'm not here just fumbling my way through life. I've been called and sent into this beautiful, difficult, damaging, glorious, whatever it is, life of mine. Um, that, that's what angels in the Bible did. They carried good news to God's people. In fact, Hebrews 1.14 says, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? See, see that, that's what angels in the Bible did. And by the way, that's what angels still do. Can I tell you, don't you love that? I just want to hop on. Can I tell you real quickly my angel story? I know a lot of you have heard this already, and you're going to hear it again over the years. But when Jessica and I lost Alexis, and we were maybe three months into the grieving process, very, very fresh, we were in bed one night, and we were holding hands. She was asleep, but we were holding hands, and I was praying. I was trying to pray. I was trying to stay alive. And an angel appeared in the room. And I don't know if I actually saw it or if it was just a vision. I, I'm not prone to seeing visions and having dreams. I wish I was. We have a friend in Colorado who dreams these amazing prophetic dreams. You might do that sometimes. But um, I, I, or you get, you've shared some things that you hear from God at great detail. But this friend of ours, she dreams these dreams. They almost always come true. I wish that was me. But, but this angel appeared in the room, didn't have wings, but it was a man and it had the typical white robe. And I know some people may not believe this, but this is what I experienced. And, and the angel looked at us, pointed his finger and said one sentence. He said, your life is not a dead branch. And then he was gone. And, and that was pretty remarkable. But, but the craziest thing happened, and if you've heard the story, you, you know the outcome here. Somehow I knew what the angel's name was. And I realize this is purely subjective. So whenever we're dealing with subjectivity, we hold it with open hands, and I get that. But, but I knew in my heart what the angel's name was. Now, it, it was not a name that I would have chosen. If I was picking the name for my guardian angel, <laughs> I would probably choose something like Maximus <laughs> or Leonidas or Conan. <laughs> But I, in my heart, I just knew that this angel's name was Gilbert. And I felt the same thing. And I, I worked at a mortgage company during that time. And so the next day I went to my office. This was in the early days of dial-up internet service. So I logged in, dialed up, listened to the little fax sound. And, and then um, I, I Googled or looked up the meaning of the name Gilbert. And I learned that the name Gilbert meant a bright pledge or a bright promise. And I sat at my desk in the middle of this mortgage office and I just started weeping because in the middle of our lowest moment, God commissioned a sent one with a good word that our life was not a dead branch. It felt like it. We had just lost our daughter. 
the church that we were a part of was hemorrhaging underneath the weight of some very dysfunctional, controlling, I would even say spiritually abusive leadership. We were young adults. I had just finished my first theological degree, but I had no opportunities for pastoring. We did not know if we were going to make it. But, but you know what? We made it. And our life hasn't been a dead branch. Our, our life has been a fruitful one. I do want to say that you want to be careful. You can't squish life into a linear um, calculation. It's not like, well, if this much good happens, it makes the bad worth it. Don't try and approach life that way. The bad is always bad. No matter how much good comes from it, it doesn't make the bad bad or good. It just makes it redemptive. When God sends a sent one with a good word, our life can swing toward the good. See, that's what angels do. And uh, interestingly, that's what humans do. Um, th there's a verse in 1 Kings 18, 15, where the prophet Elijah makes a statement that sounds an awful lot like what Gabriel said to Zechariah. In 1 Kings 18, 15, Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to Ahab today. See, there's an overlap between the callings of humans and angels. We're both servants. We're both called to strengthen. We're both called to stand in God's presence until we hear a good word that someone around us needs to hear. You are perfect for your life. You have what it takes for your complicated relatives. You have what it takes for your coworkers. You have what it takes for your children, for your best friend, for the people around you. In fact, in fact, you even have what it takes for your challenges. Let me just read one more verse. In, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 2, the apostle Paul said, We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service and spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. That does not mean that your destiny is to have a miserable life. It means that when miseries come into your life, you have been destined to meet them. Uh, a couple of summers ago, I read The Count of Monte Cristo for the first time. I hadn't read it until I was a grown-up. I loved it. It was so intense. I loved the imagery and the passion and the intensity. And there was a, a, a quote that kind of mesmerized me that's always stayed with me. Um, it was a, a moment when Edmond Dante, so the Count, said, Life is a storm, my young friend. You will bask in the sunlight one moment, be shattered on the rocks the next. What makes you a man is what you do when that storm comes. You must look into that storm and shout, do your worst, for I will do mine. <laughs> I feel like I could hear the Apostle Paul saying something like that, don't you? In fact, in fact Paul did say something very similar. Um, in 2 Corinthians 4.8, he said, we are pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Rather, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Listen, 
God's throne room is really big. There is room there for you. And if you will plant yourself in the throne room of God, if you will station yourself in the grace of God, you'll learn a little bit more about your name and your nature, your identity, your calling. You know, one of the things that melts me the most about Jesus, um, I, I really like Brian, by the way, who was playing bass, because he, he, I like him anyway, but um, for, have you heard him sing? And I'm not losing my train of thought. He's got an incredible voice. I've never heard it. He's like, he is a Johnny Cash of this generation. But I love that he loves the chosen. So I know everybody that's from Baseline, you probably get tired of him harping on the chosen. We are crazy about the chosen. The way they present Jesus, we just, you, you just melt into the floor. He's so amazing. One of the things that melts me the most about Jesus is that anyone from anywhere at any time can call out to him and they will experience his grace. And if you stand in his grace long enough, everything changes. And you go from being a wanderer and a fumbler and trying my best to being a sent one, called and commissioned into your life. So I'd, I'd like to do something um, here. Let me have Kyle and the team come back up. The, the last time that I was in Kenya, um, I, I teach in a school in Kenya called the Kenya College of Ministry. It's a it's a seminary for pastors. And the last time I was teaching there, we sent the pastors out for a solo prayer time after a session. And the men and the women that were part of this class, they went out and they found a place to stand and pray. And I took this picture of my friend, Simon Curia. And Simon is a bishop. He oversees multiple churches. And I watched him stand there for a very long time, by the way. I watched him stand in that position, and I thought to myself, man, that's what a bishop looks like. That's what a true bishop looks like. And I'm thinking today, that's probably what Gabriel looked like. And that's probably what Elijah looked like. Stationed in the presence of God, and I am just not leaving. So if you're going to take a while, give it up, because I am not leaving until I'm called and commissioned and sent into my life. And this morning, I want to take something that we do every single Sunday, but I want to turn it into a prophetic act. Every Sunday, we end by standing and singing a closing song or a couple of closing songs. So you've been sitting a long time. When you stand today, I want you to do more than just stretch and, you know, catch your, get the circulation flowing. I want you to stand prophetically. I want you to stand and I want this to be an internal, I'm Gabriel. And I am going to anchor myself to the presence of God and let him do what he's going to do in me. I'm Arminian. I'm Calvinist. I'm here. I'm doing my best. And he will do his part in my life. Would you stand with me? And so as we take just a few more minutes today to go back to worship, let, let's reposition our soul and our heart so that God can reposition our lives.